Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are live from Prime Homes headquarters in San Antonio, Texas, in partnership with An Investor's Journey, sponsored by Prime Homes and Prime Growth Academy. It is Coffee with the Johns. like that spot. We sponsor ourselves. <laughs> Didn't you say you wanted to do more of a Bruce Buffer kind of intro? So that, that was yeah. my little uh, attempt at it. Um, hey, yeah, you're, you're, I hear the UFC calling. <laughs> I needed the mic to come down from the ceiling. Uh, yeah, right? just like sitting here, just wheel it down. There you go. Uh, what is going on, everybody? We are on Friday, April the 9th, 2021. Live new episode of Coffee with the Johns. And we have a lot in the real estate space this week. Um, some good, some bad, some depending how you take it, whether it's good or it's bad. But a lot of opportunities. We see a lot of opportunities with uh, ways of generating leads, of uh, how to handle your deals. So we're going to be talking about some of the stuff we're talking is uh, vaccine passport, the sure. stuff that's going on with the p vaccines. And some states want the passport, others don't. The end of the eviction moratorium in Texas. Property taxes in San Antonio and Texas are through the roof, and it's uh, really upsetting a lot of people. Um we're also going to be talking about the foreclosure ban until 2022. And if you've been watching Coffee with the Johns at all, we already called that. I told you. There's no foreclosures going to be coming at least till the first quarter of 2022. Um, so we're going to get into all of that. Keep in mind, I strongly recommend that you join our community, uh, text community, which is uh, you can text the number. You can text CWTJ, Coffee with the Johns to 210-794-9898. And what happens on there is we share things in the moment that we are learning, that we are doing, that will hit the podcast, but it might take weeks or maybe a month or so before it does hit the podcast. You get it in real time. So as we change strategies, as we do new things, we learn new things, you'll be the first to find out and to know these things. So make sure you text that number, 210-794-9898. Text CWTJ and you'll get all the scoop. And you can also join a private Facebook group. Uh, just search for real estate investing the right way. And if you don't answer the questions, you will be denied access. So answer those questions. But the private Facebook group is not for you to pitch any deals or any crap. This is strictly for education. I have some savvy investors in the group already, and as well as some new investors. So it's contributing, asking questions, real knowledge, real learning with anything that has to do with real estate investing. So definitely something that I felt was really needed. And, you know, just join the group. Hope you enjoy it. With that being said, I am your host, John Barbera. And with me as always is co-host, Mr. John Barr. How's it going, sir? Good. Good? Good, Good week? Mm-hmm. Been a busy week. Busy. For sure. We've been busy as shit this year. Holy I'm, crap. I'm very fortunate. I know some people weren't starting in this year and some places aren't, but uh, I'm glad. Uh, I mean, one thing is I'm not glad to see traffic back. That kind of sucks. For as much <laughs> driving as I do to different projects and things yeah. like that, it's like 3.30. I'm like, oh, the 410's already stop and go. Damn it. Well, and I feel like that window has narrowed so much more because before we had, I, I believe we had a, pre-COVID anyway, we also had a bigger window of like, 
just try not to be on the highway between like four and six, right? And now it's even like three o'clock is already packed. You know what I mean? So Especially it, on Fridays. Yeah, I mean, it, it is something that these uh, traffic here and forget about going on 1604. Jeez. I mean, even on a weekend on 1604 is a nightmare. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been. But they did. I didn't put it in here, but I saw the business journal that uh, they just supported a text dot just supported a one point five billion dollar contract to a worldwide conglomerate of infrastructure. And between 410 and uh, 1604. Along that 35 stretch, you know, they don't have the flyovers and stuff there. Yeah. $1.5 billion contract to redo both of those intersections to do the flyovers. Um, adding express lanes elevated above the highway so you can skip if you wanted to. You can get on those and go straight over 35 so you don't have all those exits and things right there. And then widening 1604 along that intersection. I was like, so, there you go. Much higher congestion for the next... Five years, six years. But, six oh, six years, years. Starting in 2022 is when they're doing it. But I was like, well, I mean, hey, in six years, it'll be nice. Cause it's like, but I mean, that is one thing I've always said about San Antonio. It's like, we have, like, out of the major metros, we by far have the nicest infrastructure system in our city. I mean, we just have, you know, so much more room to grow, expand, and adapt to what's coming. Like, we're not limited like Austin is because. They're pretty much around this massive river, and they have, they're kind of landlocked in a lot yeah. of areas. Well, they just didn't plan right. Like the the oh, roads I, weren't the word roads weren't planned before growth. They were like we put the roads in after growth was already there, and like San Antonio is like they put the roads in long before any growth was out there. But that was due to the military. That's but not why. many cities, I believe, plan for massive expansions like they've received. Right? Yeah. I well, mean, that's the thing. The difference in San Antonio is because the military in the fifties built all our highways before there was anything out there and so that's why you have everything's got a made nice it more big, functional yeah it's a nice big arc going all the way around these major feeder roads to get between military bases after world war ii and so like but i mean that's why like our roads get bigger and wider and, and better and it's like well you can get around san antonio yeah we have traffic but it's not like they say like la traffic or new york traffic where you just sit stop throw your car and park and just hang out for 30 minutes uh, before you can move six feet and then do it again i mean it oh. seems like la uh, compared to new york seems 10 times worse from what I hear from anybody. Because at least New York, you have the subways. You just hop on the subway and go pretty much anywhere. But in LA, it seems like you still need a car to get a, to get around to go anywhere. Yeah. And I mean, you can Uber, but you're still in a freaking car and there's still an insane amount of traffic. So, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds, sounds terrible. Um, I did want to set up, though, everything that we're going to talk about by something that you and I have spoken about to each other over the last couple weeks is how this crisis has shifted the way a lot of people invest or so much, not so much so like the way they invest, but the way they look at real estate investing or it's coming more to fruition as who is a real investor versus who is just a talker, right? And we see, we're seeing this with wholesalers for sure, but I've been seeing it also with investors where they're in real estate, but they really don't like real estate investing. You know, they, they're not in it for like all the challenges, all the struggle that is being a real estate investor that's involved with being a real estate investor. They're, they're, they just don't know how to manage that and they don't want to manage that. They want to keep a very simple life of whatever used to work for them. That's what they want. They're not willing to adapt. They're not, and I mean, that's one of the things that always attracted me to real estate was 
how many options we have available as an investor. I mean, the market, that's why you and I, like, we never cared about the market shifting because we know we would adapt to it. But other people, I mean, they've been damn near wiped out. Other people are just falling off investing altogether. And it's just because, or they keep going harder at what they were doing before, making less money, where it's like, no, you need to adapt to the new market, you know? And, and we've been seeing that time and time again. I mean, it's just, if you're in real estate, you got to love real estate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like they, they love it because it makes money. And that's where a lot of people get into real estate is like, oh, I can make so much money in real estate. And you can, but it's a very long, hard road. And you got to really love what you do. I mean, it's that same thing where, uh, who's it? Jobs always says like, you have to be passionate, wildly passionate. Otherwise, like you'll quit because it is so difficult to actually build something. We're like, yeah, there's money to be made, but it's like, you got to fight, scrap and really go for it. And if it's just money that you're after, yeah, you might make some and make a lot of it. But eventually you're just gonna be like, ugh, I got to go speak with this seller again. Ugh, I gotta go look at this property. Ugh, I gotta do more marketing. Yeah. Like that's part of the process though. You gotta underline you gotta love the underlying process of that which creates the money. Yeah, and I mean I i I'm seeing it over and over where you know the, oh I hate flipping. I hate uh buying holds or I hate owner finance or I hate contractors. I don't want I hate flip. Contractors. I don't want to contractors. Yeah, all of these things. I hate dealing with agents, I hate dealing with buyers, blah 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 blah. The appraisers, this, that. And it's like, yeah, that's real estate. That's all part of it. You understand? Like, if you hate it and you're and hate it to the point, I mean, obviously, we get annoyed by a lot of things in real estate, but not to a point where we're not going to do them, right? It, you know, where people say, oh, I don't flip. I hate flipping. Well, that's just stupid because that's another strategy right there. If you get a, a an opportunity on a house that doesn't make sense for anything else but a flip... Why wouldn't you take well, it? Well, that's just the thing. It's like, you can't just be, everyone's like, oh, I just like just wholesaling. It's like, well, what are you going to do, wholesale the rest of your life? It's like, that's what you're going to do is like, you're going to wake up at like 6 a.m. and like do all, get all your marketing ready to go, get your campaigns going, follow up with sell leads for, and then finding new buyers, constantly dealing with that. It's like you, then second you stop, your income stops. Yeah. So what are you going to do with the money that you do make? Well, I'm just going to make a bigger wholesaling business. Like, and then it's still even a bigger headache. Uh, it's like you have to at some point own property and do something with the property. And well, like, I mean, you need to understand like, okay, well now how do I buy it? Uh, how do I renovate it? How do I manage that property where you have some residual income and some asset growth? Cause like the rental properties we've had, like they've appreciated very nicely this last two years, but we didn't buy them because of appreciation. We bought them because they actually cash flowed. We had an equity spread and we believed in long-term appreciation. And right. it's like now like the, it's sitting pretty well. Or like, but they each still cash, the house, the portfolio still cash flows in itself to support itself. It's not a moneymaker for us today, but it is something that sustains itself. We don't have to put more money towards it and we just manage it. And then in three, five, 10 years, whenever we start selling those off refinancing, it's going to be big windfalls of cash at that point. But it's something that you planted like the little seed yeah. five years ago. And then like, it doesn't really do much, but then 10 years later, it actually turned something but well, people don't want to do that that's short-sighted a quick cash quick cash yeah quick cash. i think to your point you know it's it's that's the problem you got to plant that seed and everybody and, and people always used to say oh it's these millennials and all this but i'm seeing it with people that are in their 40s 50s same shit nobody has the patience anymore 
Everybody wants that instant gratification. And that's where you have the highest level of competition is everybody is looking for the instant gratification. And when you're looking for that, you're competing with everybody else that's looking for the same exact shit. Now, if you're looking to actually build a business and build a future in real estate, your mindset, your mindset shifts to where now you're just looking at opportunities, you know, and it might not give you any instant gratification. Like, you know, that package deal that we just bought, like that deal by no means has any form of instant gratification, but the long-term payout of that deal is going to be very nice. You understand? But most people wouldn't take it. And as we saw, like the guy came to us, we submitted our offer. He said, no, I'm going to keep shopping it around. And then he came back to us because he couldn't find somebody. Right. Because everybody is competing for that instant gratification. Yeah. And it's like, that's the problem. Well, and that was, yeah, it was like, it took a lot of cash to get into, but it had a very high ROI over time. But you're talking exactly. six figures just to get into the deal. And you had, and you needed, and that's like, you needed to understand what it was that you were buying. But most people don't take the time to really dive into a property. They just see, oh, that's just a lot of cash. I see what you're doing, but yeah, that's just too much money. It's like, you don't well, realize but, what, you, what that was. Like, you just didn't, you didn't look into it. You just saw the price tag. That's what I want to mention to him. That's what is hurting that portfolio is like, it's the price tag. And most people don't look past what it costs because right. they're like, ah, oh, that's a lot of money I have to lock up and I can't get back up forever. It's like, yeah, but you don't realize like what that exactly was over time. Like in five years, it was significantly more outperforming anything mm. else you could possibly do with real estate. For sure. But- Nobody looked past it or dug into it to figure out what it was. Oh, because everybody, again, they want that instant gratification, that big payoff right now, which is why we see all that, you know, pumping in, in the stock market and everything, because everybody wants that, that big upside, that huge spike in something. And it's like, well, yeah, but now you're competing with everybody else. And then the other problem is that, you know, they look at that price tag and they're like, oh, well, look at that price tag. Yeah, I can't afford that. How about you get creative, Right. I mean, how much of our money did we put into that deal? Nothing, right? And it was, like you said, it took over six figures to get into it. But we didn't put anything. We found the strategic partner to get into that deal with. But then that's the other problem. People are like, yeah, but if I partner, man, I got to give up a 50% or this percentage or that percentage. It's like 50% of like, that's still better than nothing when you look at the grand scheme of it. like Right? And <laughs> it's just that, that limiting mindset that so many investors are having they don't want to partner. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They just want, ca I just, no, no, no. I, I, once I, once I make this amount of cash, I'll be able to do, no, because when you're ready with that mindset of, I just need to do this. I just need to do it. You never get out of that because, and, and we see it time and time again, because as soon as you get that, guess what? You're going to need that right again. You're going to need that in that moment. You're going to need it again. So, and you're like, oh, shit. Well, okay, well, one more time. Like we always talk about, like, Cash doesn't make people happy. It's what they do with the money or they think they can do with the money is what they think makes them happy. Just getting a bunch of money and then this is like, ah, but now I have some, or the burnout gets real at that point when you do the same thing over and over and over and you still, you still see your bank account going up and up and up and it's like, but after a while, you're just like, man, I'm getting bored. We just had that conversation today, this morning about uh, uh, somebody we follow on YouTube and you can tell that his channel has shifted from providing value just to providing getting clicks and just like, He's got a 3 million people subscribing to him. If he gets one per, like each one of those people to only click on it for 30 seconds, well, that's a million and a half minutes that are people watching. He gets paid by the minute. So, or on YouTube for ads so, or watch time. So it's like, 
that's what they do. It's just like I lose the initiative and I just try to. Yeah, you lose the whole purpose of why you got into it. You you start, you know, you're not making money as a real estate investor. You're making the money as a speculator. And it's like that burnout and, gets real. It's yeah. like we've talked to one of our friends where like it all falls on him to do all the management uh, of the assets they have. And then it's just like constantly just that revolving wheel of just like, oh, I just don't want to deal with this. I just don't like it. Yeah. Like, so you don't like real estate because that is you just like the money that real estate throws off. Yeah. Like well, you just look at the numbers and the money. And it gets, it's getting more to that point where it's just, how can I make more, get more, and do substantially less? Nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody wants to put in that work or that uh, compensation. And that, I mean, I guess I was raised differently because for me, it's the compensation is not a, nearly as gratifying as the work that you put in for, for myself, right? I love putting in the work. Like to me, that's that's where the satisfaction because I did something, yeah. right? Instead of it just being like the, these government checks, right, like stimulus and all this crap that you get a check and it's like, yeah, it's good to get free money for sure, but then at the same time, it's like, well, that's why I just look at it. Doesn't as, uh, have any they're, meaning. They're just returning my stolen tax dollars. Oh like, no, they're gonna take it back. I, I, <laughs> they're, I they're gonna take I that tax dollars back. Take it back. But it's like <laughs> mine. Thank you. It's mine. Try to take my money. Give my money. Hey, podcast. If you feel like you are learning things that you're gonna be able to implement ASAP to grow your business, then all I ask is that you click the link in the description for the YouTube video. Hop on YouTube real quick and hit that like button. It means the world to me that you do that. It, it matters so much us to increase our reach and and the people that we can serve better so just jump on hit that link jump on takes a second to do hit that like button means the world to me thank you for listening and keep enjoying the show first article <laughs> that i wanted to cover was uh you know mortgage firms face foreclosure ban until 2022 so millions of homeowners who have fallen behind on mortgage payments due to the pandemic would have more time before phasing foreclosure under rules proposed Monday by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So the revamp would generally prohibit mortgage servicers from starting foreclosures until, until after December 31st. Until after. The CFPB said in a statement, the goal is to give the nearly 3 million borrowers who've delayed or stopped making payments a chance to resume before lenders initiate forced home sales. A key reason uh, why the CFPB said the change is necessary is because an estimated 1.7 million con uh, consumers will exit U.S. forbearance relief programs in September and ensuing months, meaning they will have to start making payments again. Oh, shucks. The agency said it's considering permitting it's considering permitting mortgage firms to pursue foreclosures before the end of the year if they take certain steps to help borrowers avoid losses such as modifying loans to reduce consumers' monthly payments. The CFPB proposal follow a warning from agencies last week that mortgages mortgage companies could face penalties if they don't take action to prevent a surge in avoidable foreclosures. So they're going to penalize mortgage companies if they're not taking what they consider to be adequate action to help homeowners prevent foreclosures. 
More homeowners are behind on mortgage payments today than any time since 2020, uh, since 2010. The Bureau said Monday, the set of proposed rules which the regulator will seek public comment on is intended to give both the servicers and borrowers the tools and time needed to prevent a deluge, deluge of foreclosures, according to, a, uh, according to the statement. So not only... Which, I mean, we saw this coming. We talked about it in prior episodes. Just you read between the lines when they're talking about, um, I can't remember what episode uh, I covered that article in, but it was, the extension was until September and then banks needed to take 180 days before foreclosing to help out that homeowner. So that's another six months. So that's why I said like, there's not going to be any substantial amount of foreclosures until at least the end of the first quarter of 2022. Well, that's what I, I think what they're really trying to do, like, it, and it's smart. It's like they don't want the because they saw in 2008 when they're like, and that's why so many laws changed to where it was a once in a, a lifetime generational thing of like that many foreclosures because the ways where laws are written, they had to have so many assets performing, unperforming. To when they had that many unperforming assets coming on liquidity crisis, they had to dump it and they crashed the real estate market, making it worse and more widespread than before. So right. now it's like forbearances, forbearances, giving people time to either make their payments up or sell their houses. They know if they dump the market, dump it on the market, that is a death spiral to more job layoffs. It's a, a self-feeding downward spiral on top of it because now the home prices are suppressing people are losing uh, that depend on home selling homes the market's slowing down mortgage mortgage originators lenders everybody that does that huge market is now being laid off it creating less jobs which create less more payments that are being delayed and more foreclosures so they're just pushing it out to where like hey you have a long enough term to either make up your payments yeah. or you can sell your house out and I, and, or, or sell your home and move into something else when you realize it's too big of a burden. I mean, of course there's going to be those people that say, I'm just going to stay here because I don't have to make a payment. And they're, they'll get so far in the rears that they will be so far behind in payments and so far behind in interest that they'll be forced into selling the house or foreclosure. But I don't think that's the majority of people. I think that's maybe 20% of people that are just freeloading and just be like, Oh, I just don't have to pay. I think 80% of people are like, they don't want to get foreclosed and they don't want to ruin their credit score because they've worked hard to get it towards that, to be able to buy a house. They don't want to lose the house, but if they have to, they'll see like, I just need to sell it right now because the market's up, the market's hot. There's plenty of buyers. Let's, let's get it. Let's get out of this. Why we still can. So we don't have a foreclosure or a bankruptcy or something on credit. So that's giving plenty of time for them to get out from underneath that. Cause if you try to push and rush that we've seen, we've been down that road before of like you push all that inventory in the market and it grinds the economy to a halt because so much is dependent on that massive real estate market because there's so much credit creation through real estate market. Well, and even there, I mean, 20%, like you're saying 20%, that's still a huge percentage of people. You know, a twenty percent of homes well, in foreclosures. That's still foreclosures. I mean, no, no, no. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, still twenty percent is still it moves the market because you talk about twenty percent anywhere, and you're gonna have. I think, yeah, foreclosures are not gonna be coming back there um, anytime. So even when they come back, I don't think foreclosures are gonna be um, as as beneficial as they've been in the past, where you were getting hell of a deal. Because the market is so hot that people have that option where I think that's where we're going to see more is that as we get to the later parts of the year, 
we're going to see a much higher spikes in inventory because as people you know start seeing that these um these forbearance periods are ending and all of this now they're looking at loan modifications some people still can't afford even the loan modification they can't afford the payments because maybe they got downsized you know the job whatever happened where they're going to look at it and they're going to say you know what instead of taking this loan mod and, and struggling, let's just sell the property, pay off the loan, get some cash, and we'll go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, but I said like 20% of the 5% of people that are in forbearance, all in loans. So it's like, you're talking- well, They're saying 3 million people, 3 million households. And that's, that's the, the uh, well, it's 1.9 that are in forbearance, 1.7 in forbearance. Yeah, but we've had plenty of articles in here that said the number of people in forbearance is like significantly lower. It's like less than 5% of all more total mortgages are in forbearance programs. Yes. Yeah. So that's why I said 20% of that 5% isn't going to move the market in a drastic way because it, it is so small. Right. And like, and we're starting at such a one month of inventory. Or like your balance market is six months to where it's like you're talking millions and millions and millions of houses that need to hit the market just to get to a balanced market or you've yeah. gotten 20% of 5% of an entire industry. It's like, that's going to be just a little pinprick in the inventory that is needed. Yeah. Uh, and words are mean, and I'm curious what's going to happen. Cause like I have talked to some realtors that say, Oh, I, know, I have plenty of clients that say, I don't want to sell my house yet because I'm not. I don't feel comfortable with people coming in and out of that, my house. Right. It's like, but now you have this issue where somebody said it's like, well, now they don't want to sell their house because they don't know where they're going to go because you hear the inventory so low that people are like, I don't know where I'd move to. I don't. I couldn't go find another house if I wanted to. I hear all the struggles in the real estate market, like the overbidding, the things that are going, the no inventory. Like, I could sell my house, but yeah, and I get a bunch of cash, but what do I go do with it? Yeah. I can't go buy another house. So now people are like, well, I'm not, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm not going to sell it. I'm just going to modify. I'm going to add on. I'm going to do some, some other thing to where like, really the only way how I see for some of this stuff is either some form of crisis that pushes inventory onto the market, like, or built, you have to build the housing. But even like, we're trying to build a house right now and the freaking struggles real with that, trying to like get through the regulations and the red tape that's needed just to build a house versus like. I don't know what the solution is going to be, but like, really, it's like the most logical so situation is like, you got to build the inventory. Let's look at a third possibility with vaccines coming more and more on the market. Uh, just yesterday, I finally met with the, the seller that we've been talking to for like six months. Uh, we were already on the contract and everything, but she was struggling to get some more of the papers. So I, I finally got her to allow me to go to her house so I can bring the papers to her. We can fill it out. She's an elderly lady. Right. She's probably well into her 70s. I don't know, around there. Um, the reason she allowed me in was because she just got her vaccine. So, you know, she feels comfortable. And she even told me because when I walked in, I was like, do you need me to wear a mask? She's like, oh, I got my vaccine. I'm good. I don't uh, nothing matters anymore. I was surprised. I was like, I figured she was like, OK, like, cool. Like just knowing the situation, I, I, I figured she was vaccinated, but I still hear like the CD. Even if you're vaccinated, you still need to be wearing a mask. You still need to so be So that's where I'm going at, that, you know, people feel like they get the vaccine, right? And that's it. It's over. COVID no, no longer matters. You're done. You're not going to get it. So I'm looking at, they are the population that are more likely to dump inventory into the market is the elderly. Because they did have, like this lady, she has a massive, like, 2,100 square foot home. Yeah, it was a big house. So she has a big house. You know, um, it you know in that area it's it's worth a pretty penny. 
they've owned it for i don't know 20 plus years or more so i mean she's definitely ha oh she has it paid off so i mean that's a lot of money for people that age where they sell those houses and end up downsizing yeah, to a condo or something like that you know and like or a retirement community or a retirement home like so i'm thinking now as the vaccines get more extensive and people everything opens up more and everything everybody's feeling more comfortable the baby boom generation that held off are we going to see them now all of a sudden just try to well that's cash the, in? well that's the thing they cash in but then it's we talk about like where do they move to yeah, they go to condos no inventory in condos they're just as much of a bidding war as anything else we're like somebody that's in their 20s 30s and 40s trying to buy a house has a little more energy and knowledge to combat the struggles of trying to buy a house right now yeah. somebody's like 75 years old trying to downsize it's like i can't be getting in my car to drop of a hat jumping in a car flying across town to go look at a house and making quick decisions and like do it like uh, I think it'd be very difficult. So it's, it's, no, really I don't know. I think you have, because uh, you do have uh, those communities that are for elderly people, right? Mm -hmm. Like 55 or 65 and over communities. They're not necessarily retirement homes, but there are communities that, I don't know. I think they have more options. They're going to have definitely more buying I mean, power. They do have, Brian, but they do have that advantage of like, if they are having going from a paid off house, that house, I'm guessing I drove by is probably worth in the high twos. Uh, um, if not no, threes, oh, yeah, no, in that area. There. Yeah. So I mean, she could like, and then you're downsizing. It's like you're coming in with cash, just yeah. like when we sold that house over here off Blanco that we did off Mount Kisco. It's like it was somebody that was retired, moving from Colorado to. It, we were nowhere near in the market we're in now, but they're just like they came in, saw the house, just boom, cash done. I was like, okay, I'm yeah. I'm not even gonna think twice about that. Closing twelve days, done. Yep. Like cash, cash is, I mean, it's going to be one of those things like cash is king if you're in that situation, but there's a lot of people that aren't in that situation because, um, I think that's a, they're more than more fortunate. They're, they're a minority, not the majority of baby boomers that have a fully paid off house because like, a lot of that generation got tied into, um, reverse mortgages, reverse mortgages. And then, and then to the early to late nineties, two thousands of using their houses like an ATM yeah. and refinancing out. Cause I mean, that was when their kids were going to college. Yes. But I, I feel like after 2008, a lot of baby boomers shifted that mindset again, where, yeah, but because I think, two, years. The, yeah, but in 12 years, I mean, look how much real estate has appreciated. You build a great amount of equity in these homes. And a lot of them, they haven't updated their homes. This lady, you know, she has in that house is still very, original you oh, know right. clean pristine yeah. but very original so you know you're, you're looking at these houses that's like yeah you have equity built in but it's dated as hell right like anybody that buys it they're gonna need to update the house because it's just like it's really really i mean the couches she you know she invited me in the living room i sit down my knees were up to my my chin it was like the couches were like for a tea set i was like people really sit on couches like this <laughs> like it was a you know like a little playhouse but um, but it's funny because Brian Pauling puts in the comments uh, the cruise, cruise ship, ship retirement. retirement. I got an article on cruise ships. But hold on, hold on. So I wanted to actually cover this article because we're kind of into that topic. Is that it, it's five ways the housing market would change after the pandemic. So this was a actually a very interesting read. I I took most of the article because <laughs> there was a lot in there, but um. It's a uh, double digit home value growth will end as the U.S. reaches herd immunity and the economy rebounds. That's because mortgage rates will make buying a home more expensive. The Americans 
and no, not the Americans and Americans will have more options for how to send their money, how to spend their money. Instead of spending on homes, Americans will want to spend on activities like vacations, parties and dining. So just that little section right there is another point that sometimes when you're looking at trends and you're looking at things, you look through a very narrow looking hole, right? Where you're looking at how is this directly affecting me? But you don't think about things like this, that you're saying, oh, but people can buy this or buy that and it's a lot of demand and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, if you think about it, like as the economy opens up and all that, and people still have a lot of buying power and the houses are too expensive, they're going to be like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just stay and we'll go on vacations. We'll go on this. We'll go do that. You know? And I think that alone could slow down the potential buying power that uh, buyers have. So then it says some people will be eager to buy a home because they will feel more confident in their own economic um, prospects once the economy recovers. But some people will look at how expensive homes have become and hold off. As a result, home values will rise about 5% per year, which will be more in line with the growth of the overall economy. I love when they always do projections. 5% per year. Okay, buddy. You know that. As the economy recovers, mortgage rates will likely increase to pre-pandemic levels of around 3.5%. People are already freaking out at what interest rates are now because they're rising. And it's like, guys, we've been much worse than these interest rates. Yeah. And um, making borrowing uh, to buy a home more expensive than it, it, than it is now. Uh, since the economy is already doing better and many economists anticipate there is a small risk of a trillion dollar stimulus package could inject too much money into the economy and cause inflation and even higher mortgage rates of over 4%. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to take into consideration when you're in the housing market and you are an investor and all this. You got to understand, like, there's so much money being pumped into the market. How is that going to affect not just the real estate market, but how is that going to affect everything else? Oh, yeah. I think the Fed's running at $120 billion of money. A month. A month. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, I mean, just just in that alone, you're over over a trillion dollars of additional equity. We're all talking about, oh, the government's pumping in 1.9 trillion dollars to all this, 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 this. Like the Fed's pumping in a trillion over a trillion dollars a year at the rate they're going, and they're saying there's no time, there's no sign of slowing down. It's like, and they're buying bonds. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rates might rise some, but you have the ultimate power of the Fed just saying like. We'll buy everything. Yep. Like if they stop buying, yeah, you're going to see a lot of upward pressure. But uh, that's the overall inflation thing. Where yeah, they pumped a bunch of money into it, but like there's this constant stream still coming in. That like yeah, the government dumped a bunch, but the Fed's continuing every single month, keeping more and more coming in. Yeah. Where I, I would think they could be able to back that off, or any kind of inflation goes. But like we talked about, I think it was last week that like they they want inflation. They need inflation. They have to reset the debt cycle and make money cheaper like all that old debt needs to be it's, it's got to be serviced but it's got to be paid off with cheaper dollars so they want to inflate the economy overheat the economy to eliminate that well that's debt. why even even a mortgage rate at three percent three point five percent it's still a hell of an investment that mortgage rate because you're going to be paying that mortgage down with cheaper dollars as they keep pumping in more money because they have no intent on stopping the pump anytime soon so if you're locking in like this year if you're looking to buy homes like this is the time to buy you lock in these mortgage rates 
I mean, in the next five to 10 years, you're paying that mortgage down with some cheap ass dollars, you know? And then they talk about how you are going to have, a, they talk about the same thing we just talked about, like people that are thinking about selling and all of that, but they have nowhere to go. And then you're going to have the other ones that just refinance at a, a less than a 3% uh, interest rates where they're like, well, I'm not going to let this interest rate go. Yeah, right? I'm not going to move now. Exactly. So you're going to have that kind of uh, push and pull from that. But as the economy reopens and people get back to work, more people will be looking to buy uh, reasonably priced homes. <laughs> and right now, the most reasonably priced homes are condos that buyers shunned during the pandemic. During the pandemic, condos sold at 70% uh, discount to single family homes. Um, that's the largest discount in 2013, which was honestly one of the reasons why we've never bought condos or townhomes was because... Our data shows that every time there's a pandemic or a crisis or something like that, those are the ones that get hit the hardest, you know? So it's like, well, you know, they're not technically that smart of an investment because we're looking at investing. We're not looking at home sales, but prices are already growing faster in urban areas where condos are more common than in suburban areas or rural areas. Soon, home buyers will see the value in the perks of owning a condo like shared amenities such as pools and gyms. When the pandemic ends, many people will continue working from home at least part-time, but they will begin taking their lunch and coffee breaks outside their home. This means that, and this whole section I found very interesting, like a different perspective. This means the kinds of businesses that cater to workers will relocate to suburban areas where more of their customers will be during the day. For example, Starbucks is closing stores in urban areas while opening new stores in the suburbs. And small businesses in cities are recovering at a slower pace than small businesses in the suburbs. Over time, suburban communities will start to feel like more cities with uh, more restaurants, coffee shops, and happy hour spots opening up. So that, I thought, was a very interesting thing to look at because especially... Us, and for those of you that are maybe not aware, John just released another killer uh, Texas market update. So this covered Austin, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, the overall Texas economy. So make sure you check that one out. But when you do what we do, that we're always looking at data, we're always looking at trends. This is a good piece of information because if we start seeing companies like Starbucks, right? I mean, this was something that I realized seven years ago when i moved to texas uh when i moved to san antonio i used to go look at deals leads on the south side of san antonio there wasn't a starbucks anywhere on the south side what do i do right yeah because it was like what the hell where do i go i didn't know san antonio i didn't know anything i didn't know where to go you know gas station coffee here sucks right so they don't have delis so it was like now we have quick trips popping up all over the place they have decent coffee but, you know, there wasn't much options. And then I, was, I started thinking through it. I was like, well, you look at McDonald's, you look at Starbucks, you look at these massive companies, they have the data and the analytics to decide what is the income, what is the availability, where should they open up a store? Yeah. So if you follow them, wherever they're thinking of opening up, that's where maybe you should be considering investing because they don't open up in places that are declining. They open up in places that are growing and thriving. Well, I mean, the, the, the capability and the research power that they have, the, exactly. the trends, it's like you and I can 
look at a few things and make projections and guesses, but we're like, they have departments with people, lots of them, yeah. computers, and lots of money to determine these things. Like, like, dude, just follow the money. Like, follow the corporations. Follow where they're opening Starbucks. Follow where they're opening, like, yeah. these higher-end boutique things. Like, don't follow... Uh, like dollar general stores that like where they're opening. It's like, if you're following like for future development and stuff like that, like look where these higher brands are trying to move. If you're looking for that long-term appreciation growth. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, these are key metrics that if you're listening, you need to be taken down. You need to be putting uh, uh, an eye on and, and taking inventory of all this, because as an investor, whenever you're saying, yeah, but I don't know what to do, where to market these are the things that put you ahead of your competition because these are the things that are going to show you where you should be investing, where you should be moving to before anybody else realizes that. You understand? So it's like you need to be paying attention to this. You need to be looking at these metrics. Yeah. But then they talk about post-pandemic, many, pe many people will decide to rent instead of buy a home simply because buying a home will be too expensive. Rent in expensive job centers like Manhattan, San Francisco, will likely stay below pre-pandemic levels because remote workers will have more options to play uh, for places to live away from their corporate headquarters. But in popular migration destinations like Austin and Atlanta, rents will increase more quickly, more quickly, because even more Rapid. people... Even more people will want to live in these less expensive cities uh, when the economy is fully open and safe. So they're saying short-term rentals will be especially popular. More remote workers will adopt a nomadic lifestyle where they roam from city to city with no home base at all. A remote tech worker might spend part of the year working from headquarters part of the year working from a satellite office and the rest of the year in a vacation destination. This will cause prices of short-term rentals to increase. So that, of course, is uh, it's speculation from them, right? I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, but it does make sense. It does, and we've seen it. We've seen more where people are more prone to pick up and leave, yeah, pick up and move, right? And, and we see, this is why, I mean... Ever since we started doing any kind of uh, education and sharing stuff, we always talk about rentals. Like, you want to be protected? Rent, get rentals. Because people are always going to need a roof over their head. Yeah. And when shit gets crazy, a rental is the quickest place that they can go to. You know, so rentals are always... Yeah, the, the application process is an hour instead of like 30, 45 days. It's like, hey, I got good credit. I got cash. I move in. I look, do a background check. Hey, man, I think down payment tenant. process. Yeah, much cheaper. Well, this is like, dude, just give me like a security deposit, uh, cleaning fee, pet fees, and you're in. Commitment a year. Yeah, you know, like I sometimes mean, less, it's, it's short sometimes term, less. If it's a short term rental thing, where it's like, hey, it's furnished. Like, I, I mean, I think it makes complete sense for some of these areas. Like, if you're in a remote industry, it's like, look, I can work from anywhere. So like I spend part of the year here. I spend part of the year there. Like they don't have a lot to move with them, but they need amenities of bedding, uh, dishes and stuff that they don't want to move to. It's like, and they'll pay a premium for it where it's like, Hey, cause I mean, if you're only renting for like three to six months, like I'm not going to give you standard $1,600 rate. I'll rent it to you for six months, three months, but it's going to be $2,400 a month but they don't have anything to move with them. So it's like, I just need a computer, a few personal items. Um, yeah, I'll do that. 
I mean, that's yeah. why you see a lot of these more congested areas uh, from like the Valuetainment one, like Adam Sosnick, or like, I haven't had a car in 10 years. I Uber everywhere. Like, even when he lived in Dallas, it's like, yeah, I just, I Uber to the office, I Uber home, I Uber where I need to go. It's like, I just don't need a car and I don't have any expenses with it. It's like, it does cost more than owning a car, it's like, but it's a luxury that I do like that I live in downtown settings. I don't need to worry about parking. I don't need to worry about anything. I have groceries delivered. So you need to be able to afford that lifestyle. But if you can, but that's why amenities are so crucial. So you need to invest in areas that are not so, you know, out of the way. Because it seems like more and more people are becoming less like home bodies, you know, where they, they are going out more. Like he says, you know, it's especially after the pandemic, you know, people are going to, it's going to be lunchtime. People are going to go to a park probably. Even if they're, they can't afford to go pay for lunch somewhere, they'll get their lunch, they'll go somewhere. Like, they want to be out. They The people are just scooped up. They want to go places. They want to be out. And you see it more and more where now you drive anywhere, you go anywhere, everything is packed. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean... It's been packed here, though, for the entire time. And that's one thing I've been looking at. I was like, man, it's been fairly open and fairly packed. Like, our downtown has, like, had people in it for the entire time. Like, it hasn't been, a, except for, like, April last year. I mean, yeah. even through the summer, I mean, people were out and about. And I was, and I was even thinking to myself in the back of my head, like... I know there's people that aren't coming out. Like there are, it's like it is in Texas. It's like nobody gives a damn about it. Like other places, uh, but no, it's like yeah, okay, save thirty percent, forty percent. Like you add thirty, forty percent more people to what are already out here. Ooh, it's really gonna be packed. So yeah. I mean, and you see it now. We're like, I'm sure, like this afternoon, like we got to go down to the south side at one o'clock. I'm like, I bet we're gonna hit some traffic coming back from that at two. Yeah, because it, it's Friday, and that's just kind of. Yeah, we're just going to have to stay down there and do some happy hour. I mean, it is what it is. We got to sacrifice what we got to sacrifice. But I'm brewing, baby. Oh, the place is awesome. Um, <laughs> but this is another point here on this article is why you got to kind of shift your mindset and be more versatile or versatile. Well, I mean, it's even is it versatile or versatile. However you want to. Okay. It's your world, John. We're it's all my just world. living in it. Yeah, what do you, yeah. versatile, versatile, how do you want it to be? There we go. I like that concept. So you guys deal with my, my <laughs> no, I'm vocabulary. Sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's going to make his head bigger. <laughs> she's, she's giving up. She's giving up. But, uh, but to, I mean, stop, to stop flipping in a way that you're, because we, we've seen this a lot lately where people are buying a house where the numbers are not making sense and their response instantly after you kind of poke at their numbers a little bit is that, yeah, by the, by the time I'm done though, it's going to be worth more. Like that's not an investment strategy. Ouch. Like, are, I'm sorry. Or did you just come from the future? Because yeah. you just don't know. Like we've yeah. seen just how the pandemic started. Right. And just how these politicians would drop a policy change in in a day and you're like holy crap oh, i mean it's just like it, that, the black swan events that tank economies and markets nobody sees coming or and then even the people that they say saw it coming it's like yeah you just guess though and how oh, many, you got it right one time and you're riding that wave and it's like but you've been wrong like what was that guy's name uh denton uh rich dad he's always gold's going like four hundred dollars he's like a doom and gloom kind of guy oh Harvey Dent. Harvey Denton, yeah. yeah. Harry Harvey, yeah. Whatever. But he was like, he was right one time of the crash of like 99. Yeah. And he's just been like, oh, everything's going to hell. Everything's going to hell. Like ever since he's always doom and gloom, like this world is going to go At to At some crap. point, he's going like, to be right. Sometimes he's going to be right. Uh, but like, that's not, a, like to your point, like that's not an investment strategy of like, oh, it'll be worth one eventually. It could be. And it, you'll be fortunate if it is. But like, what if you're wrong? 
And like, it's one thing, like nobody, uh, we have a friend that harps on me all the time. It's like, Oh, here comes Mr. John. Oh, how do you lose money? Protect the downsides. Like, but that's real. Like I learned that from like Warren Buffett, Paul Jones, like big investors that always say like how I, they're not rich because they're stupid. Yeah, It's like, I got wealthy because I protect the downside. I go to people and say, shoot holes in my investment thesis on how I lose money. And then am I protected? And if I have an upside, then I make the investment. Well, how is it that you and I always piss each other off, right? And in a good way, we are always arguing, but we are never mad at each other. Because you, like, let's say you, caught, you found the deal or something and you're excited about it and you bring it to me. First thing I do is I look at, all the shit that can go wrong and vice versa. You do the same exact thing, right? Because the you reason like to argue though, I like to argue, yeah. mister, I should have been an attorney. Fucking anyway, um, don't get me going. <laughs> see, I, see, you made me go. drop a cursor already. That was being good. See, it's his fault. I'm good. Um, but we, uh, what is our, our tactic? We always say the same thing. All right. If everything goes bad, what is our exposure? Yeah. Can we handle that exposure? Yes. Okay. Now let's go at it. Because if everything goes bad, we can handle it. Right? Now, what's the other side? Everything goes great. Awesome. But if everything goes bad, we are prepared. Where a lot of these people, everything goes bad and you're underwater by a large amount. Yeah, they have no they have no exit strategy or None. backup strategy. We're like, we've bought properties and uh have definitely just like oh man that's marginal it's like but if everything goes wrong how do we get out there's an equity spread in there that we say we're moving out because like we borrow everything privately we don't do any hard money loans no institutions or anything like that it's like we're taking people's retirement funds and like they a lot of them they don't understand real estate like we do they're betting on us they're not betting us yes they have the asset for protection underneath but it's really it's us as the operators that they're investing in 100 or it's like I will eat ramen noodles before I let your money go to waste. But we protect your investment to where it's like we do get a little more funds than what a hard money lender might do. But as we know what we're doing and to where it's like if everything goes wrong, I will dump this property. And for we have the equity spread to where I can finish it, dump it, make no money. But you're well, protected. And how many times have you and I had to literally just stop everything that we're doing, strap on our, our tool belts, get our tools and go and finish a project yeah. because the contractor sucked. We had to finish it. Uh, we had to fire them. And at the time, hire anybody would have put us under. Right. Yeah. So we had to go ourselves and put in a week or two weeks and finish out the project or repaint yeah. a freaking house because the morons couldn't paint right. Um, you know, where we do whatever needs to be done, which yeah. we go back to the original point is that you cannot hate a certain aspect of this business because you need to be able to adapt to well, whatever that, comes your way. I was coming back to that, to where like we've been for several years harping on Airbnb. It's like like I don't think that's a great investment strategy. They still suck. But it's one of those that we are starting to be more aware of that space and yeah. the opportunities in that space, and saying like, hey, now we're in a position with several when we have more than just one rental property uh towards like we can start exploring this space a little bit and looking into it because we have a fundamental like foundation built of a good solid portfolio that'll take care of itself to where if one goes vacant it, the whole thing falls it's like right. hey we can take like this one we got we got one come up at the end of the year out by sea world it's like a good house Maybe we try to do some form of short-term rental because it does have some space. It does have good access to it. It's a growing side of the economy. There's medical going on out there. It's like, 
Probably short-term rental out there. Yeah, but and, what what's the key factor on that property? And what we always tell people with Airbnbs is that if you need to, does the house make sense as a traditional rental? Yeah. If you yeah. need to, can you sell that house and walk away? Yeah. And that's where we've seen so many people that are gun-ho for Airbnbs get into so much trouble because they're buying houses that only make sense for an Airbnb. Where the laws change, which they happen to do. The laws change, all of a sudden, it's not as profitable. Uh, the market change, the pandemics happened. Whatever the hell happens, yeah. now all of a sudden you overpaid for the house. So if you sell, you're on the water and you bought, a, you also overpaid for the house. And if you try to rent, you won't cover your mortgage. You're yeah. on the water. So now you put yourself in a position where you're just underwater all, all around. You built your portfolio on toothpicks. Insane. And that's like for us where it's like, every single one of them produces positive cash flow. And then when you compound that against multiple properties, it's like there's more cash flow coming in than outgoing. And we we are disciplined and we don't take any of that cash flow. It goes into a separate accounts that we don't touch that if repairs come, that comes out of that account. Taxes insurance comes out of that account. And like maybe in the future, if that account gets large enough, it's like, all right, we can take a little distribution from the thing. Yeah. But we like we just leave it over there because we understand that between and when then you on start top of that, double digit properties, it's like if you have multiple roofs, multiple air conditioners, like this portfolio we picked up, like it's got some old air conditioners. Oh, yeah. All the four of them do. And or it's like we're gonna have some turnover in that in the next couple of years that I'm expecting we're gonna have to replace some air conditioners. Well, we're we're planning for it. We yeah. we bought it anticipating that. And all of our houses have at least a twenty percent equity in them where if we needed to, if shit got too crazy, where it's like Look, we honestly can't keep up with this house. Like, it's just, we, we, you know, whatever it is, like, what happens? And it's happened to us. And, you know, luckily now we're, we're picking up again, but we were cash poor. We had a lot of investments, but we yeah. were cash poor, right? So that catches you in a bad situation where you're cash poor. You got to liquidate. You know, unfortunately, you, you're going to have to liquidate yeah. in it. But if you overpaid for these houses and you got into bad areas or you, you know, you overpaid not necessarily by buying it at retail, but you overpaid because you didn't calculate the repairs correctly. Yeah. Where now, in order to sell for that value, you need to do these repairs that are gonna put you underwater. So all of those things are taken into consideration when we buy a house. Yeah. So then that way it's like, now if we wanted to do an Airbnb or short-term rental, we can, because the risk really not there. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, it didn't work out. Great, goes back to a rental. As we just sell the stuff no on the problem. inside and we take the little bit of a hit and so, move on. Brian Pauling puts Southside happy hour? Where? When? Well, like I said, if you guys text us 210-794-9898, I will actually text you where we're going to go look at this house. Um, and in the future, when we go look at properties that are vacant, uh, I'll let you guys know where it is so you guys can come and we can do kind of like little property tours uh, when we go look at these houses so you guys can see what we see. Look at uh, all the stuff that we're doing. So make sure to text us to 1079 shit. What was the number? 794-9898. I didn't do that one. I didn't make you drop I, that. Man, I, I forget my number so many okay. times. Well, but... I wanted to address like one of Brian Pauling's um, comments he made earlier about the cruise ship retirement. Um, he said, my dad is in a retirement community and there are several with the plan of selling and going on a cruise until they need a nursing home, primarily seniors in their eighties. It's cheaper than assisted living and comes with maid service and a cook with a lot of social activities. Like, I think that's like, I don't, you've never been on a cruise, have you? Mm -hmm. Okay. But it is, it's that it's like, 
yeah, you have this tiny little room, but you're on a floating city that stops at other cities where like your food is included in your price. Obviously you don't have like great healthcare, but it's like until they need a nursing home, that additional care, I think it's great. But one thing right now is uh, one of the articles I have in here is you can't go in cruises from the U S whoops, I clicked off of it. Where did it go? Florida sues CDC to allow cruises to resume U.S. sailing. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced Thursday that the state will file a lawsuit against the Center, of, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, demanding cruise ships are allowed to resume sailing immediately. On behalf of the tens of thousands of Florida, Floridians whose livelihood depend on the viability of an open cruise industry today florida is fighting back he announces in a press conference he we don't believe the federal government has a right to mothball a major industry for over a year based on very little evidence and very little data in the first six months of the pandemic florida lost 3.2 billion dollars from the cruise ship injury shutdown including almost 50,000 jobs paying 2.3 billion in wages according to a september 2020 report from the federal maritime commission since the cdc shut down the u.s cruise industry last year the state's seaports have been a decline in operating revenue of almost 300 million and the <laughs> figure expects to reach 400 million in july the florida department of transportation told cnbc rural caribbean has carried over 100,000 guests on its ships outside the U.S. since the pandemic and has only seen 10 COVID cases, Bain said on CBS this morning. On Thursday, we, he said he would like to be treated in a very similar way to airlines and other forms of transportation. Where like, you can go on cruises, you just can't go on cruises from the United States. You have to get on a plane, fly to a different country, and then get on a cruise there. Where... And and this fact that they've had over hundred thousand guests on their ships, and only ten confirmed COVID cases, that's just something to me that uh, is crazy. Yeah. And like I didn't know like the, they like the CDC shut down and says there are no U.S. cruises, especially coming from like Florida and other places where like they've been open, but government and our overreaching power of the CDC is now saying that hey you can't and i think the one thing the cdc's done is they've pushed these things so far that now the private sector or even small municipal municipalities local government state governments be like we're going to push back and test your power we're going to sue you until we'll take these things to the supreme court yeah. like you see the uh moratoriums being constantly they've been uh tested and now we can move right into the texas case yeah uh but they're pushing back against these government power to where it's like hey you had the authority, you believed, and people listened to you, but since you won't remove them, and now people are like, hey, uh, we don't believe your data, we don't support your data, we don't trust in your findings, and we don't think your outlook is best for the local communities and the actual people and businesses, that they're like, we're going to push back on you. And now if the loss favors in the side of people suing the CDC, they're going to lose power forever. Because if they f go in the favor of these municipalities, it worked one time, but it won't work again. Because now like this laws have been out, the lawsuits have been proven, the laws have been written, because that's why this, they had the authority, because nobody proved that they didn't have the authority. Right but now they're pressing back and they're going to find out. And if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and they're going to see who has the authority to do this. So where uh, I think that's going to be... Uh, well, I mean, I think... That is really what you have. What was it? Ohio was suing uh, the CDC before too because of the of the moratorium, saying that they're they're um, holy crap. The highest court, the Supreme Court, uh, said that 
they have no no right to demand something like that or enforce anything like that. So Ohio was already suing them, and we have, like you mentioned earlier, Texas uh, is not lifting the moratorium. They're just not enforcing enforcing it. the moratorium anymore. So Texas state court system is signaling that it will no longer enforce a federal order aimed at stopping evictions during the coronavirus pandemic. That could clear the way for landlords to push ahead with tens of thousands of eviction cases that have been on hold. So tens of thousands. That's Texas. I didn't know that there were that many eviction cases on hold. Tens of thousands. That's a, a shit ton of evictions. Oh, yeah, but out of 30 million people. Like, I know, but still, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just It seems like a very big number for me. Well, I mean, yeah, it is, it is a large number. <laughs> but then you look at like San Antonio. 1.2 million people. And when when people say, oh, I don't know where to market to, there's tens of thousands of properties that are distressed right now because landlords are distressed. Like, yeah, but I, I I'd be curious to look at those numbers to, to see like there's how a, many how many renters are in San Antonio or like how many households are rentals. You know, and like if, you, if somebody wants to volunteer and we would trade off uh, uh, mentorship or whatever the heck you want, uh, I would love somebody that's good at pulling data to verify a lot of these articles that we read. There's a lot of times I'm reading an article and I see numbers and I'm like, okay, but compared to what? Or what is the actual number? Or what is the, you know, to get a real look at all these things. Because a lot of these articles, they throw numbers around and it sounds good on the article, but when you actually look at it, it's like, wow, that was completely insignificant. But people don't know. So, and fear drives the market. So yeah, if any of you want to volunteer, reach out to me. You know how to do it. 210-794-9898. Legal aid attorney are raising the alarm that the state is about to allow a wave of people to be put out of their homes with no place to go. We've had a failure of leadership that's going to result in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Texans becoming homeless in relatively short order. Um... This this was said by Mark Melton, who heads up a pro bono team of 175 volunteer lawyers in Dallas. Wow, they must be amazing lawyers. Uh, what? I'm trying to be nicer. It just comes out, and sometimes the filter goes away. What has changed is that an emergency order issued by the Texas Supreme Court has just expired. It had required judges to enforce a federal eviction moratorium for the center, from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention under which landlords cannot evict people like uh, that have signed a declaration saying they have no, law, no other good housing options. Courts are no longer authorized by the Texas Supreme Court to abate put on hold cases based on the CDC eviction moratorium. So they're no longer authorized. Courts are no longer authorized by the Supreme Court to put on hold. Okay. Renters who are behind on rent are on their own, says uh, Christina Rosales, deputy director of Texas Housers, Housers, a prominent affordable housing group. That's the message the Supreme Court is sending, and we've greatly, we're greatly concerned. Even a major landlord group seems a bit baffled by the ruling. David Mintz, vice president of government affairs with the Texas Apartment Association, says that he has been reaching out to Texas Justice Court 
Training Center. We have asked them to clarify their guidance. We believe that the courts do have the ability to consider CDC declarations that are provided to them. So, and the article goes on. I mean, well, again, after all of this, uh, after have, this live, um, after this live, uh, all the links to the articles are going to be on our website. So make sure you go there to uh, so you can read the full article. Because I mean, some of these articles go on and on. I mean, they have a lot of stuff on there. But one of the things that I wanted to address real quick on, regarding this article is that we're landlords in all this, right? But I'm kind of torn between this decision because. You know, I don't feel that it's also right that you evict people that have been severely hurt by the pandemic, right? But then at the same time, another uh, an area that I believe was handled very badly was that the landlords themselves weren't being protected. So it's like you can't protect one and not the other, right? You can't give all this benefit to the tenant and then screw the landlord like that, that well, That's I mean, they terrible. wouldn't have to, because you look at the two groups, it's like you have renters who majority don't have a plethora of savings saved up or like they can't go six months without making a payment. More landlords than don't usually have cash reserves to help make those mortgage payments for a period of time, not a year, huh? year and a half. Huh? Uh, like, I don't know anyone that keeps a year and a half reserves for a house plus maintenance in there. I'll be portfolio. shocked if I know of any landlords that even have reserves. I mean, most most people that we met, I mean, the people that have a few homes, not your massive landlords, they don't have reserves. They As soon as it starts cash flowing, they're pulling that cash flow from the property. Yeah, you're it, ones and twos, but if once you, if you get to an actual professional investor, more yeah, yeah, homes you start doing. But if you just have one, or usually it's your accidental landlord, somebody that owned a house and then could afford a second one, moved in a second one, and unintentionally, well, intentionally, but unintentionally turned their first house yeah, into but just a in, pro- a Just in San rental. Antonio, how big is that list of one-off landlords? Like whenever we pulled the absentee list, right? I mean, yeah. those of one-off landlords, it's a pretty big freaking yeah, list. Yeah, it's big. Uh, but I wanted to add to that article because I had a different one. Um, so the Texas Justice Court Training Center, the agency res- is responsible. But go ahead. Guess we can change the subject. Well, it's not it's the same topic. <laughs> Joking, God. God. Uh, the Texas Justice Court Training Center, the agency responsible for training the judges who preside over eviction courts, is now advising judges to set new hearings for old cases. So they are being advised to say, hey, set these old cases that were paused because of CDC order to determine if landlords want to move forward with those evictions. So it's not like they're saying, hey, the government's not doing it. They're saying you, the landlord, now has a choice if you want to evict. Because Texas landlords can still face criminal penalties under the federal CDC order if they evict a tenant who's eligible for protection. And then the article uh, said that the enforcement isn't actually happening. She hasn't heard of a single case of a landlord being prosecuted. Well, because there's also, I think, and this is what we got to also realize. And I believe you have more landlords out there that are willing to do the right thing versus not, right? But the problem is that the ones that aren't are always the ones that make the most noise because those are headlines that the news can sell. So, but when you look at it, even I I look at it as ourselves that, you know, we done everything that we can to make sure that all of our properties, all of our tenants, everybody is good. Right. And and we've reached out to them with plenty of times. If you need anything, if you, you know, we've anything that they need, we would take care of. So 
I think there are more landlords out there that are willing to do that and that have been doing that because a lot of the people that we've spoken to that are landlords and own, you know, well, 20 plus homes, they, they're all saying the same well, exact thing. Well, it's one of the thing. things like they like to make, like the news portrays landlords as every landlord is inherent or the vast majority of them inherently bad. Yeah. Slumlords. Like, but it's like, no, like yeah. that's, I'm sorry. That's just one way of thinking. And that's just the media doing what the media does because good heartedness doesn't sell. Or like, I think the majority of people, like they do care about other people. They're not in it just to be like, ah, screw you. Pay me my money. Whatever it is. It's like, yeah. well, I think most of them will try to work with them because they are all, they're both in a situation where it's like, if you don't pay, I'm going to eventually evict you. But if you don't pay, I'm also going to get hurt and I'm going to lose that house. And then you're still going to get kicked out. Right. We're like, they're both going to lose those situations where it's like, let's work together. And, and then I guess we, I remember we were out uh, and we, I don't want to say the person was like a heckler, but they were like, just constantly like uh, yeah. beating at us. It's like, well, I'm, I'm switching everything. I'm putting my own contract. Like I'm doing short term rentals month to month on everything. Cause I'm not dealing with this crap. And I was like, well, we haven't had a single problem and we have double digit rental portfolio of like, Nobody has, has had any problems with. We've reached out to them. We're willing to work with them, but she just took an immediate bulldog reaction of just well, like charging everything into month to month rental and just like really started because hammering. people. It was like, it's one of the things that always annoys me is when people generalize. Just because it happens to you doesn't mean that is the general consensus. It could just be you, right? And so it's something that I think as an investor, you got to be more open minded to understand and take into account is it just me or is this an actual trend that's developing right because you need to know if it's just you then the good thing is that hey maybe there's a way that you can fix it right and if it's something that's going around then it's like all right well this is the market now we need to figure out what else can i do so either way it gives you a solution but when you feel like you know it's uh you generalize and everything, and then you're not trying to see that it's just you. It's hard to fix those situations. And she she was a funny lady. She snapped at everybody there. Yeah. But uh, but I mean, moving forward a little bit, we have um. So well, uh, so before we move forward, even with that, so you have the eviction moratoriums being lifted. I believe the ones that are still going to get evicted are these people that cannot prove that it's because of the pandemic. Yeah, because I look at the court system to where it's like. Yeah, the you, same thing. The news focuses on the bad ones. But like the court system is there designed to figure things out. Yeah. Or like if somebody is legitimately, like to that lady's point, I haven't heard a single person like being enforced. It's like, well, it's not over yet. So you could evict somebody. But it's like, don't be evict somebody because like you're just being a dick too. Or yeah. like, hey, you have to show like, dude, like, no, I really like, I've tried to work with this person. Uh, I've tried to do everything I can, but now I've stretched to a point to where like, I'm going to start losing this thing and they're going to get kicked out anyways, because the bank's going to foreclose. And then we got now two people hurting and I got, I will oversee three houses, two houses, and yeah. that's going to affect others to where it's like, instead of just affecting one household, it now affects four households, three households to where it's like, if you can prove that, I think the court system would side in the way that's like, okay, uh, we're going to move past it. Now I could see the CDC going after big, huge companies. Like, as you do get, once you get into like the very, the stock market corporate level, those become very focused on profits because the way capitalism works with a shareholder profit and stock price, they have to force those things. I could see them going after players like that. Yeah. But I mean, your individual landlord, I don't see them like. But really that, that's the problem after. though, is that a lot of these laws, regulations, and policies always affects the small landlord the small business owner 
that's that's always been my issue with all these policies. Every time somebody does it, and and I try to have a little more empathy for the government because we look at it in the world of our own world, right? So our direct world, our connections, our thing. The government needs to look at it in the space of 365 million people, right? And what could potentially be the overall good policy where it's like, is it going to hurt a, a percentage of people? Yeah, probably, but it benefits the overall percentage of people. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying like when you look at policies and everything, I try to look at from both both perspectives, not just how it's going to affect me, but like why is it even being done? Is it beneficial for the overall? Um, and these are things that like I don't see it. You know, like you need it. it I, one thing that I think they did well was that in order to not be evicted, you need to prove that you've been affected by the crisis, by the pandemic. And most of the people that were getting evicted couldn't prove it. So if you can't prove it, pay your damn rent. You know, I mean, and we see it time and time again where there's plenty of work in San Antonio. It's just, it's not the work you want to do. But there's still work. Oh, I mean, there's people hiring like crazy. And like, I mean, Amazon's been in the news lately. And we have an article in here um, just about like, they're always hiring. One of the things like they expect a level of turnover every single month just because yeah. of the nature of the work. But it's like, starting pays 15 bucks an hour. Like, like you can like, Two people working at $15 an hour, 40 hours a week. It's like you can afford basic rent. I mean, yeah, you're not living in a luxurious 4,000 square foot house at that. Like, but you're basic. You're surviving. Yeah. It's like the rentals, rentals we have out towards Amazon. Like you could afford those easily yeah. uh, uh, at those. Well, uh, I had an article kind of shifting gears a little bit. Now that you brought that up is Uber announces a $250 million stimulus to bring back uh, drivers. So Uber said Wednesday it will spend $250 million on a one-time stimulus aimed at getting drivers back on the road as states begin to pull back some of their pandemic restrictions and roll out vaccines. The company said that the incentive will help welcome back existing drivers and ensure first-time drivers do well as they learn the ropes. An Uber spokesman said the company will roll out payments over the next few months and will be delivered in a range of incentives. So they're not just being given out, they're incentives that are created. This is nuts, right? Because they're actually making you do something before you get it. I thought you just sign up and here's here's $100. This is starting to seem like the old America, you know, where you actually have to earn the money. It's weird. But uh, in Austin, for example, drivers are guaranteed $1,100 if they do 115 trips, the company said. In Phoenix, drivers are guaranteed $1,775 if they do 200 trips. The spokesman said the company will expand its guarantees in both those cities and other markets across the country. So I decided to kind of do a little bit of the research and this was quick. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, it might be off, but this is this was done at the beginning of uh, last year. So the average Uber d- uh, driver makes 15 uh, trip, uh, 17 trips per day, working seven days a week, that's 119 trips. So let's take Austin, for example, right? You need 115 trips to make $1,100. So if you work uh, seven days a week, 
you can make eleven hundred dollars, right? To get a hundred. Well, that's what I said. Like, trips. I, I, that's what I was curious. Like in Austin, for example, drivers are guaranteed eleven hundred if they do one hundred and fifteen trips. Right. So if they do one hundred and fifteen trips, the only which is seven days a week, seventeen trips a day. Your math. They make eleven hundred dollars a month. A week. Uh, no, that's a week. So it's seventeen dollars a day equals a hundred. And seven days in a week, uh, they do it seven days out of the week. That's 119 trips. Yeah, I, that's what I was just curious. Like, it's a guaranteed $1,100 if they do 115 trips. Right. Yeah, but it didn't say 1100 per week. That's what I was saying. So it's 1100 per week if you do 115 trips over per a week. Month. Oh, okay. I got you. Okay. Right, yep. So now the next thing would be like, is this a repeating incentive? Like, if you keep doing. You know, if you do 230 trips, do you get $2,200? So that I'm, I'm assuming that would be the thing. So, but you look at it that way. So you got to work seven days a week, uh, full days to do 119 trips to make $1,100, right? And then when I looked at it in Austin, the medium home, uh, medium homes in Austin are being around 500 grand and rents are around a, almost 1,200 for a one bedroom. So, with those numbers, five hundred grand is your medium priced home, and uh, roughly twelve hundred for a one bedroom apartment is making forty four hundred dollars a month. Going to cover that? It'll cover the rent, but it's not going to. You're not going to buy a house on that. But would you cover any? I mean, you're making forty four hundred. You got twelve hundred in rent. That's just again. That's just a one bedroom. Anything over that, you know, they they keep going up. I think like a three two was. Um. I don't know. It was a substantially higher. Well, I mean, you look at it, <laughs> but, like um, eleven seventy-five. I mean, most people they say spend anywhere from thirty, forty percent on housing costs. So, twenty-five percent of forty-four hundred is eleven hundred. So it's right in line with that, to where it's right. like thirty percent of. I mean, yeah, it's one bedroom, but it's like, but if you have two people that are driving, to where it's like, you're you're making close to almost a hundred grand a year off that. I mean, between two people driving, or it's like now yeah, you have between, two people, right. between two people yep. that drive Uber all day long, um, or seven days a week, or seven days a week. So that really that's the thing that I life, see is like but, you uh, got to drive every single day of the month to sustain that, yeah. you know. And that's for right now because then they say we want drivers to take advantage of higher earnings now because this is likely a temporary situation. As the recovery continues, we expect more drivers will be hitting the road, which means the more time earnings will come back to pre-COVID uh, pre levels. Well, that was the thing when Uber came out, they were running commercials like, get your side hustle on, drive yeah. for Uber. I get you, get, they, so they're trying to bring people back that like, hey, you can work for Uber and you can sustain a living if you're unemployed or something like that. But then you can go back to work and then you can still go drive Uber. Like Uber, yep. all these other like gig, the gig economy, it's like they're not meant to make old time careers out of it's like hey it's a side hustle it's a side gig it's like need some extra cash saturday nights that's when you can make the most money i'm gonna drive saturday nights make an extra two dollars a week or whatever or a hundred dollars a week whatever it may be to bring in some additional cash and it's like right now it's like they're short of drivers so i don't see it sustainable for long for the fact that more people are going to come back and say hey i got a job not enough i'm gonna go drive uh in the evenings uh, how do you see to... this as an incentive like uh do you think this is a good play from uber to try to get more drivers into and more interest i mean yeah. it makes sense to me where it's like if you have people that are unemployed and like i can't make a living the rents are coming up and things like that it's like 
hey look you can drive for you can get a median house hold, hold income for one person by driving and if you have two people driving it's like you're making almost 100 grand a year and then that's just on what they're guaranteeing you and it's probably one of those things that uh, it's like the personal training industry where like they guarantee a flat rate but once you make above that in commissions they don't give you that on top of the commissions yeah. where it's like they're guaranteed 1100 if you do that many trips but if you do more trips than that and you go over 1100 you get to 1500 it's like they're not going to give you that plus it's like no you've made enough we guaranteed you this floor and you've now worked well, past then, that to where you can make more right it goes back to what you're saying this is a gig this is not a job right because then if you're driving that much i mean think about the wear and tear on your vehicle the amount of gas gas is not cheap so the amount of gas you're going to have to put in that vehicle the wear and tear in that vehicle you know all of that like i mean great tax deduction if you know what you're doing yeah that was you know that's a big if and many that, people are the h and r blocks oh my god if they don't like if you drive full time for like uber or something like that and you don't know that you can deduct 56 cents per mile off it's like bro like you shouldn't be paying taxes on anything because that like it is huge windfall if you're driving i don't know like ten thousand. i mean ten thousand so nothing i mean that's fifty six hundred dollars per ten thousand miles you drive if you drive over ten thousand miles a year it's like well, That's I mean, how a, much miles did you put on your truck that month that you were just going to projects? You were 2000. Like it's, but that's not, what I'm saying. Like, yeah. and, and that was just, you going to a few projects around town. Like it wasn't yeah. like an insane amount of consistent driving. Yeah. So, I mean, and then we have that, what they were proposing uh, the gas tax that they wanted to incorporate. So mileage I mean, tax, mileage tax. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, a lot of things to keep in mind, but going back to it is businesses being businesses. They're, Thinking of creative ways, innovative ways. How can they get people? How can they give them incentives? Or if you do this, you get paid X, right? So it's like not just free money. When I saw the $250 million stimulus, I was like, oh, God. I thought they were just going to cut like every Uber driver a check. You know, I was yeah. like, oh, here we go. But when they said, no, it's going to be in a matter of incentives, I was like, okay, there we go. Encouraging people to work. That's awesome. So um, I wanted to touch on uh more companies coming to texas did you have anything you wanted to hit before that uh no not not on like business so, economy aspect ss um so more companies coming to texas and more specifically to san antonio so listen up you san antonians or san antonio san antonio i never understood just, that just when stop. people say san stop. Antonio. don't try anymore just, no? just okay I'll no. give it up. It's like the y'all. Y'all. Never get the, the y'all. Anyway, another California tech company is setting down roots in the Alamo City and hiring locally for more than 300 jobs. Silicon Valley-based I2C Inc. I2C Inc. Um, a payment processing and banking solution company announced in an April 6th press release that it will open a new client contract center in San Antonio. Amir Wayne, uh, the founder and CEO, said San Antonio was chosen as a location for the company's multi-year investment plan for its robust talent pool. Uh, Richard Perez, uh, per Perez, Perez, I don't know how to say in English, Perez, Perez, uh, President and CEO of San Antonio Chambers of Commerce welcomed the tech company, calling San Antonio the ideal city to set down roots and grow a business. 
our location, our bilingual, hardworking citizens, and our authentic and friendly culture make for a formula of uh, for success. So, and I agree. I, I do admit that this is something about San Antonio that struck me even when I first moved here is how friendly people are. People here are very friendly, very nice people. South, baby. Um, yeah, no, Austin, they're a bunch of dicks. I, I don't know if it's just because well, they're Californians. Anymore, Austin's not uh, South anymore. Yeah, it's, so, uh, but, you know, San Antonio is still San Antonio where you go places and people are very nice, very polite, um, except some sellers, if you call them. Like, some of them get very creative with their cursing. But uh, that being said, like, 300 more jobs, another tech company that's coming here, and that's just them starting to open up. You know what I mean? Like, that's... Well, my thing with that is, though, it's like, yeah, who are they bringing here? It's like they're moving from Silicon Valley, or they're not, they're not moving, they're expanding. Um, a client contract center in San Antonio. So like, what, client contract, is like, that sounds like a fancy word for, like, basically like a call center call or center. support, or a support industry. It's like, okay, we're getting jobs here, great, but they're moving here for a robust talent pool of, like, of who though because they're not relocating the whole company from silicon valley to here they're just bringing an expansion to like 300 new jobs like is that a call center is that just a support desk uh, what kind of jobs are they bringing because they're not like bringing the coders they're not bringing the high paying jobs that are going to really push this in or, or san antonio into a leading city in, of, for innovation but away from just a support city of innovation yeah that's where i see a lot of san antonio it's like Hey, we like San Antonio. We're going to move some people there, but their support our main business, which is based out of Silicon Valley, Austin, or like these higher end cities that kind of lead innovation and new business uh, into the future. What was the problem with that? I mean, right now, like you look at uh, a lot of the people, a lot of uh, the unemployment that we have in San Antonio and everything is like your, your service industry. And that's kind of like your service level job. No, no, I'm not saying job. it's bad by any means, but I, I look at it as also like we, we talk like, what are, the, what are the jobs that are coming here that are supporting these higher prices? Because you got to be able to afford these things. Like what is, who's coming here? Are we on the verge of getting big companies that are tech centric or bigger companies relocating here as far as like headquarters? There's several of them that have moved to Dallas or Texas, oh. but they've all gone to Houston, Austin, Dallas. I haven't heard of a major relocation being announced moving to San Antonio as the, far the headquarters go. Right. They do well, expand operations. I, I think what this is going to expand on is more rental, uh, especially in those areas. Because here's another one, another article that Texas uh, tax breaks for developers under scrutiny in San Antonio. So Texas legislators are considering a handful of bills that would abolish or restrict the public, uh, the use of public facility corporations or PFCs, public facility corporations, a tool intended to create affordable housing, but that has been scrutinized for depriving public entities of millions of dollars in property tax revenue in San Antonio. So essentially, uh, the sum up, because the article is kind of written in a very dry manner. Um, PFCs are partnering with San Antonio to build uh, apartment complexes and stuff like that. So the way it works is they partner together. So let's see, played a large role. Da -da -da -da. Uh, tools work like this. Okay, so a developer partners with a public entity 
to build an apartment complex, which receives a full property tax exemption under Texas law so long as half of its units are rented to those making up to 80% of the area median income. So up to 80%. And the median income is 57600 in San Antonio uh, for a family of four. Housing officials and developers often refer to this level of housing as workforce housing. Often, units are offered to people making up to 60% of the area medium. And one thing that I found interesting, where was it, is that according to uh, HUD, the Housing and Urban Development, 60% of AMD is considered affordable housing. So that that's an interesting metric to understand when people talk about affordable housing. You know, it's everybody thinks of like, oh, it's a certain price point. But they the way the HUD describes affordable housing is anybody that's up to sixty percent of AMD AMI. Oh, I was gonna say, I was like, where's yeah, AMI area median income. Though that's what's considered affordable housing. So then these companies they partner with the city. They build these complexes and then they get tax break. They don't have to pay property taxes for 75 years. They don't have to pay property taxes. 75 years? Yeah. Right now in San Antonio, they are bringing, by the end of this year, they're estimating 6,271 apartments have been created under this law, under this uh, tool, this tax incentive. So that's almost 6,300 people that have been had housing, right? That are living in these apartments and all this. And those properties are not paying any taxes. So those, that's 6,300 people that are using the roads, using the amenities, using everything. And no taxes are being contributed to those areas to revitalize that, to keep it up, to maintain it. Like, I think, you know, and I'm not... This Especially is why when people say five years worth of not paying taxes, like it, I've, to me, that's you know, a lot of people say, Oh, you're you're Republican or this or that. I don't consider I'm I've, I've said it before, I'm a political atheist. I believe in you know, whatever makes sense, I don't care whose side does it, yeah. But that, to me, to give this level of tax break, I think is insane. Where it's like, could you give a tax break to a company that's providing housing? available at a price that somebody that's making up to 60% of um, the area uh, medium income. Yeah, okay, give them a tax break. But no property taxes for that long? Like, that's just, that's nuts. I mean, this article is long as hell, so I I strongly recommend you guys go read it. Yeah, but I mean, you also look at it too. It's like you're providing affordable housing, so like you can't provide affordable housing like that and pay taxes on top of it. That, but that's, it's 50%. So, and, and that is, so it's 50% uh, needs to be set off for 80%. So here's an example they did. So 16, development, 16 developments so far across the city, totaling 4,300 units. Uh, of that unit total, 24.6% have been market rated 18% have been for households making 80% or less, 50% at 60% or less, 6% at 50% or less, and 0.6% at 30% or less. 
the remaining amount they can rent at whatever the market rates are. Yeah. So well, they 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 have the other half of the apartments are rented at whatever those rates are, and then the other half is rented at 80, 60, 50. Yeah, but you still can't afford that only 25% at market rate rent and afford to pay taxes. Now, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that they should be paying taxes, but I'm saying there needs to be some form of balance there because but, you go back to 6,300 people that have housing now and using oh, 6,300 units. Like that's not just people. That's yeah, figured, like, more probably, per, yeah. usually there's probably two. And usually if they're at that income, they have families of like four. So it's at like, least double that. Yeah. I was like at least double, if not triple that's that. That's cars. That's, you know, the use of roads, use of amenities. And those developments are not paying any property taxes. Yeah, but so those it's people, like, those people though, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, they, mm -hmm. like I, I, uh, 75 years, but I also see like they were created for a reason. It's like, hey, you can have this scaling thing and that's the only way we can incentivize you to build housing is to subsidize you via tax or right. via tax credits. It's like, but you now have 75% of those people, like they're using cars, roads, they're like, they pay gas tax, they pay taxes for the mechanics, they pay sales tax, they pay uh, all these other taxes on top of that. So it's like, okay. you, and then you go to the center core where a lot of these are located. They're in the service sectors of downtown where those jobs, it's kind of a way to keeping prices affordable in the downtown area. Because if you had to have pay somebody a server to work in a downtown restaurant, 50 grand a year to get there, but had to live so far outside of the city, it's like, it's a way to keep the small businesses, I think, kind of alive to where like they need lower waged uh, or a talent pool that can't afford to live downtown or bus in or whatever it may be to where now we can afford to go downtown because the prices aren't sky high. You have affordable housing so those people can live and work in the area, but they still are generating taxes, tax revenue for the city, for the roads, because their wages are taxed, their uh, all the other their foods taxed, their gas is taxed, everything they do, everything they spend is still taxed. But they can now live and can afford to live downtown. That kind of spreads right. out the so, income but distribution. are all those taxes? So here's my understanding of property taxes, right? And I could be 100% wrong. I'm not. I never looked into it all that much. But to me, property taxes for a certain area aren't they allocated to that area? That's why like certain school districts are better than others because the higher the property taxes are in that area, more money goes to those schools and stuff like that. So if less property taxes are collected in that area, in these areas where you have these massive developments, as we're seeing all over, you know, the downtown area, the San Pedro Creek corridor that now they're uh, yeah. um, looking yeah. to put up more. So you're having all of these there. So is that money now that's not being collected? What is that going to mean for the school systems so and all they, that? Hey, commercial real estate, mm -hmm. gas station. Do they charge more to wealthier individuals or poor individuals for gas? No, they can't. I mean, they, I'm not saying they know they don't. It's like they yeah. pump gas, they, they collect whatever they collect. They The more people that are there, the, the more revenue they make. Yeah. The more revenue they make, the more their business is worth, the more that commercial development is worth. The more that development is worth, the higher the tax value on that business or that gas station or yeah. that convenience store. So more people being in a downtown area drive up property taxes of commercial Everybody buildings. else. Everybody else. So yes, you are correct that like we have high tax rates that goes towards school districts. Mm -hmm. And that's why you do have that like areas that are traditionally more suppressed as far as home values. They aren't as glamorous of school districts and they don't have as great a talent pools. 
but that's just kind of how economics kind of works. But those are changing now that the downtown corridor is changing so much, but it is like getting affordable people here. They give the tax breaks on the developers and the people owning it, but it creates density downtown and Which allows the talent, everything else. Keeps a talent pool coming in downtown where it keeps costs down, where it keeps people like us yeah. coming. I like enjoy going downtown. Uh, Molly and I love going downtown and trying to eat. But if it was sky high prices, all the places can't park, can't go anywhere. A, f- a hot dog's nine dollars. Like screw that. I'm not going to go downtown. Yeah. But they're keep. I think it's a way of subsidizing downtown to get more people downtown to spend more money downtown because the money stays downtown. At well, that then point. you have the other problem with all of the. Man, I think downtown is probably going to be a keyword on this. Uh, Episode. I think you said downtown like downtown, 45 downtown, times downtown. In, in two minutes. You search downtown but and you're going to find the, us instead of a Macklemore song. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> the thing is that you have that issue too that now you have the other side where it, you have people complaining about gentrification and people's property taxes and everything going up because of that same density. That same density is, like you're saying, to your point, it's making things more expensive. You know, the more demand there is for a restaurant, restaurant could raise their prices. You know, all of these things makes everything more expensive, makes them generate more revenue, makes taxes go up. So you have, uh, there was this other article where home homeowners right now are freaking the hell out because one guy says, I'm afraid that it's going to take such a big chunk out of the money, um, out of the money we're getting, what little it is that we're going to be strapped, uh, says Doug. He's seen 42% increase in his property value over the last five years. 42% increase. So rough, less than 10 Right. Well, Yeah. You average it out. Yeah, that, that's yes, yeah, so, so that's what I'm saying. Because I'm actually, I've, I've thought about this. Is that the thing is like it doesn't, it hasn't been increasing that way either. Like it's not like a even ten percent. It's like usually yeah, like yeah, I know one but, year you you've gotten like an eighteen percent spike. You know what I mean? So I think that year over year kind of shock to people doesn't give them that much time to adjust. So the Bear County Appraisal District. Uh, told us that just because your property's value goes up, property ta- taxes don't always follow suit. I don't understand what the hell they mean by that because that's exactly what they do. Uh, Senator Ben Court says that he expects more housing legislation will be passed this year, but for now, you may not have to pay as much as you think. Okay. You okay. should get a double effect if, you, if you're successful in your protest. Plus, you'll see a property tax rate relief, and that's really the combination of the two of the two should help people with their property tax bills. So the deadline for to protest is May 17th. Right now is April 9th. So make sure you get there. We actually have a, a an an interview around check around this time last year. I'll try to find the link and put it below in the description. But there was an interview done with uh, a local tax uh, protester here in San Antonio, and he goes over the process of protesting your taxes. So I strongly recommend that you go ahead and do it. Uh, The appraisal district said last year they had a record number of protests at 131,000 to be exact, and they're expecting double that this year. Okay, so now I was thinking this, and I wanted to run the math on that. Everyone says, oh, I'm not going to be able to afford my house anymore because I'm being taxed out. So let, let, let's run that. So you say $175,000 house, 2.8%. I mean, that's a pretty much the highest I've really seen here. 
of that is 4,900 a year. So now let's say your value goes up 10%, right? Follow me. So now your house is worth two, was it 202, uh, whatever it is. So now it goes from 4,900, 10% of 4,900 a year is $490 over the year. Divide that by 12. Wait, wait, wait. You're doing 10% on the taxes going up or on the property value? It's the same thing. 10% of value goes up 10% of taxes. It, because it's on the same, it's 10%, your, your value goes up 10% and it's at 2.8% as long as the rate doesn't change, your taxes right. are going to go up 10% okay. as well. It's based on that you. value. So now that's 4,900 a year, it goes up 10%, 490. So now let's add that. It's in a 40, 40, $490 divided by 12, it's only $40 a month mm-hmm. that your payment goes up. So like, yeah, nobody, it's extra $40, but, and that does help consistently year over year. And that does start to really suck, but it's one of those that like, one year over the next, like, isn't going to break you. Like if you're that close, that extra $40 in your budget allows you not to be able to afford a house. It's like, like, but yes, but that is the problem though. How many times have we read reports of people that the majority of Americans, they they were saying like, this was even pre pandemic don't even have $400 in their savings. You understand? They like, they do live paycheck to paycheck, whether it's because of hard times or because that's the lifestyle they decided to live that they spend every dime that comes in. But an extra $40, and especially when we know, like, let's say landlords, that their cash flow is already strapped. Now you take away an extra $40 of cash flow, like all those things go adding up, right? Yeah. So and I completely agree. I always say you should not buy a house that you can't afford. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the American way, right? The, the American way is like, you need to own a house and it doesn't matter what that looks like. And you need to refinance and use that refinance money to go on a cruise and buy TVs. Well, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like an extra $40 a month is like, should be pretty easily able to make up in your budget. You might have to work you a little think. more, yeah. grab, go out and drive Uber three nights a week. I bet you could probably make 40 bucks on that to cover that cost. But it's also one of the things wherever your income's coming from, you should probably, if you're a little small business owner, it's like, Hey, I need to, start pushing prices have those like maybe uncomfortable con- uh, conversations that were like with customers. If you're like a B2B, it's like, I need to raise my prices yeah, because costs are going up and it's going across the board. Like, but that's also how an economy functions yeah. or like higher tax values means more investment, which should bring more people to an area that where you're making more well, money. But that's, uh, that's also the point of why we do coffee with the Johns and why, you know, we, we try to share all these articles and the, and the perspectives is that just because you read a headline of property taxes, like that, that one guy, I've, I forgot to reply to him, but that one guy that commented of, uh, you know, oh, Texas is a stupid place to buy real estate and all this because, you know, you guys are destroying it with property taxes and it's insane. Oh, and he, it's like, he was definitely just a hater of Texas, like how we run this this state because he was just. Well, that, well even, it. and I try to ask him, I'm like, well, where is it that you're investing? Well, not in Texas. Like, so you're not investing, yeah, so you know, you're, because you're not a sermon that has a legitimate argument. Yeah. You're just like, I don't like it because I don't like it. Because just because, you know, property taxes are going up doesn't mean that you still can't invest. You understand? I mean, we find deals all the time and they cash flow and they make good money and they're great deals. And it's like, we're still okay. Yeah. You understand? So, I mean, it that's the point. It's like, guys, you you need to, if you get anything out of the show is just that like you need to look deeper into things don't be a headline reader because it creates so much more stress and bad information uh and again i'll I'll say this quote from denzel he says uh 
if you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. And if you watch the news, you're misinformed. And I, I love that. You know, even the reporter asking him the question, it was like, uh, because that's who they are. They're reporters. So they didn't know how to respond to that. But it's genius because it's exactly that. Like, if you're a headline reader, you're going to be misinformed every step of the way, especially when you're using those headlines for investment purposes. So I wanted to cover this article. Uh, your boy, your boy, Elon Musk issues urgent plea for more housing in Austin, Texas, as Tesla and SpaceX looks to fill hundreds of jobs. Urgent need to build more housing in greater Austin area, Musk tweet. Since the pandemic started, Austin real estate has boomed, causing a housing crisis as several West and East Coast companies look to build up or move their headquarters to Texas to avoid the high cost of living and taxes associated with California and New York. So this is something that you said, you know, not you haven't seen major companies move to San Antonio. But when you have these massive companies that are moving to Austin and a lot of them are allowing that hybrid work from home model, people are going to move to San Antonio with those high incomes yeah. because they rather drive an hour once or twice a week and afford a hell of a house versus take that same medium price home in Austin, 500 grand. In San Antonio, you spend 300 grand, you're buying a hell of a house, right? I mean, you're getting a pretty decent property. Austin, you're not getting anything. So that your money goes a long way. So I think that one hour tra travel, and if they ever decide to smarten up and put an actual train that goes that shoots up to Austin, I mean, forget about it. It's gonna really blow up the oh, I wish they the could market figure here. that out, but yeah. Uh, so then to do so, and they talk about companies from Oracle to HP announced plans last year to move their headquarters to Texas. Um, Musk has also been driving the move to Texas. Just last week, he called for people to consider moving to Texas to work for SpaceX. Uh, in March, Musk announced that he is trying to form a new city <laughs> called Starbase at SpaceX launch facilities in Texas. Could you imagine what that city is going to be? Oh, man, that guy's... That guy lives in his own world. He's a he's an interesting he's guy a, for sure. The, 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 the techno king. Oh, uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, that's at about that's about five hour drive from Austin. Several of Musk's portfolio companies, including SpaceX, Tesla, the Boring Company, and Neuralink, all have job openings in Texas. Tesla is also considering to com complete also working. Yeah, also working to complete a massive factory near Austin. In February, housing prices in Austin area hit an all-time record, leaping over 24% from the previous year, according to a report by ABOR. Uh, that's the Austin Board of Realtors. The Austin area, including Travis County, has an average housing price of over 800 grand and a median price of over 500 grand. The median housing price in all of Texas for March was nearly half of Austin's price at $277,000, while comparable cities like Dallas clocked in at $333,000. So not even Dallas is anywhere near how expensive it is to be in Austin. Again, this is why people are going to be working in Austin. This is going to be just what I, we saw in New York. People work in the city, live in the suburbs. Austin 
San Antonio is essentially a suburb at this point, right? Where Austin is going to be the major city where all the big corporations are at and people are going to live in the outskirts of Austin because it's a fraction of the cost, slower living, better traffic, and they're going to be able to just commute whenever they need to go to work. Yeah. Redfin real estate agent, April Miller, nearly every offer my clients make faces competition and most homes are are going for more than 20% over asking price. The average person looking to move to Austin has in has a $852,000 home buying budget according to Redfin's report. 32% more than current Austin residents looking to buy a home. So I mean, people moving to Austin are coming in with a budget of over of 800 and fi- over $850,000. I mean, to buy a home. Like jeez, like that's that's a massive amount of money. And that's why I mean those home prices in Austin keep going up and that's how we see like we go back to the same thing. What why do we see San Antonio such a great market? Because of that. Now how we're away from that. You're yeah. an, you live literally an hour away from all of that growth. Well, I mean an hour away and it's just like Texas in general, like Austin has done a great job of like making itself the cool hit place that is attracting those kind of jobs to where like, you know, all your major tech players have, I mean, I covered it last week, like Apple's second largest campus is located in Austin mm-hmm. and like Facebook is there. Google is there. Apple, Tesla. Uh, I mean, Joe Rogan moved there and like one of the things I put in there, he's opening a comedy club. And I mean, you're a big uh, follower of Joe or some of Joe Rogan's uh, content. I've watched several yeah. of them where like he talks about like the, what was that? The comedy club in LA that uh, the, the laugh factory yeah. is one. He's like, what it started. He's like, I'd love to create a laugh factory. And he talked about it and he's doing it as like multi-million dollar podcaster. Joe Rogan is reportedly in talks to turn the city of Austin into a new hub for big laughs. According to the Austonia.com. Rogan is opening up his very own comedy club. The report states he's going to buy the one world theater, which is in West Austin off of B cave road. So he's doing exactly that. I mean, he talked about like building a ranch, building an area because B cave is West Austin. As far as I know, I don't know where this one world theater is, but I do know B cave road is out West side. They're so like, he's creating it a, a cool place an environment that it's like, you can move to Austin. You can move to South central Texas. And you got everything you need. Uh, well, I mean, uh, again, how many times while living in New York, did we travel into the city for entertainment? Like it was nothing. It was just a part of life. Right. So People traveling from all around Austin to go to these places for entertainment and all that stuff and then leave and go back to a place where it's more affordable to live in. I mean, that's extremely feasible. You know, I mean, people are just that's just what it is. I I think, like I said, when would that even explode further is if they figure out a transportation system that is going to help that further expand, you know, and if they figure out a a train uh bullet train or something that can get you from san antonio to austin i mean well i mean that's what the the infrastructure plan they're talking about and they're like they're wanting to build trains out in these other places but it's like they have declining populations like the reason san antonio has such great roads is because the government military came in pre-expansion and built the damn roads they didn't come in after all the things were there when it was astronomically to cost to build these train systems and stuff through these major metros yeah and i mean i mean that's one thing i would like about texas uh, as we get close to wrapping up, I wanted to make sure we actually hit the topic this time because we talked about it last week, this week, and <laughs> we're running out of time. But uh, let's talk about the vaccine passports. So 
First thing, this was last week that I had seen. New York launches a nation's first vaccine passports. Uh, others working on similar ideas, but many details must be worked out. So you have um, the New Yorkers. Uh, New Yorkers will be able to pull up a code on their cell phone or a printout to prove they've been vaccinated against COVID-19 or recently tested negative for the virus that caused it. The first in line uh, in the nation's certification called the Excelsior Pass will be useful first at large-scale venues like Madison Square Garden, but next week the pass will be accepted at dozens of events, arts, entertainment venues statewide. It already lets people increase the size of wedding parties or other catered events. So, I mean, pretty much for you to even cater an event or anything, you need to kind of show, you know, your 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 past that you've been tested. So everybody that attends is feel safe and whatever the requirements are going to be. Um, this allows for people not to be able to fake it because it's an app. It's all being, you know, synced up. They talked about a lot of issues as far as is everybody going to use the same metrics? Is everybody going to use the same uh, type of app? So is it going to be accepted everywhere? There's a lot of things that are unknown. They're going to give it to for free to all businesses to have so they can uh, have the app and open up and be able to just pretty much scan people at the door, right? Like if you haven't been tested recently or you're not vaccinated, you won't be allowed in. So it's their attempt to be able to open everything up. Um, it says uh, this uh, psychologist talked about saying we are ideologically we are ideologically as a culture pretty resistant to the idea of mandates unless it's kids. Uh, already scammers are selling fake CDC vaccination <laughs> identification cards on sites like Craigslist and eBay and OfferUp. I mean, if you're, eh, it's, it's funny that, you know, that, that, that's the kind of shit that people don't want it. So they got to figure out ways around this. Uh, that is about the only piece of authentic ID that we've got that's used relatively universal, said uh, Booser, president and CEO of Appointed Scheduling and Booking Industry Association. Sounds like a thing. Um, so there, New York is pushing for, the va for that, you know, to have all this. There's four states that have really pushed our elected officials in Illinois and Hawaii have expressed support for the passport. New York and Nevada have already launched digital vaccine passport systems. Right. And then we have Florida came out last week as well saying it's completely unacceptable for either the government or private sector to impose upon you the requirement that you should uh, that you show proof of vaccine. Uh, the order says Government entities in Florida are prohibited from issuing vaccine passports or other standardized documentation for the support of certifying an individual's COVID-19 vaccination status to a third party. Today, I issued an executive order prohibiting, prohibiting the use of so-called COVID-19 vaccine passports. The legislature is working on making the, this permanent, these protections for Floridians, Floridians? And I look forward to signing them into law soon. In order, in the order, DeSanti said the vaccination records are private information which should not be shared by mandate. Vaccine passports reduce individual freedom and will harm patient privacy. Taking effect immediately, uh, it also bans businesses from requiring customers to provide documentation verifying a COVID-19 vaccination 
or post-transmission recovery in order to gain access or service from the business. So it's not even like he's going as far as not even letting the businesses choose. They're banning businesses from requiring it, period. So well, that's the difference between because now that was done last week and then this week Abbott comes out and bans the exact bans mandates to say exact same thing. He said in a video announcement, Abbott stated everyday Texans are returning to normal life as more people get the safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine. But, and as I've said all along, these vaccines are always voluntary and never forced. Government should not require any Texan to show proof of vaccination and reveal private health information just to go about their daily lives. However, the order specifically excludes nursing homes or other similar long-term care facilities from that ban. Those those facilities do not have to adapt such requirements, but can it can if they choose so. But also, private businesses are not mentioned in the order. So that's the difference between here and there. Like tech, Florida is like saying you can't do it. The government right. stepping on businesses and be like you don't even have the choice. We're going to do it. Or Texas has always been that kind of free flowing yeah. economy where it's like hey you can make the choice and i agree with that where it's like hey the small bit texas is staying out of business which is why texas has been a beacon of businesses moving here it's like they stay out of their business let the, the businesses do what the businesses want to do and not overreach into their side so i like abbott's twist on it being like i'm not going to exclude you saying you can't do it but we're never the government's never going to come in and force you saying you have to get it and says so to date 18 states have initiated legislation or issued executive orders banning or severely restricting the use of vaccine passports and prohibiting discrimination based on vaccine status. That includes Arizona, Arkansas, California, which shocked me a little bit, Iowa, Florida, Louisiana, Maryland, Minnesota, another kind of shocker for me, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. And there's only four states that are kind of working towards it, improving towards it, towards like if you're one of these people in like one of these states that are enforcing it, there's an overwhelming majority of states compared to that states that are of saying we're not doing it to states that are to where could this be another incentive, uh, an incentive to be like, I'm done with this crap. Now you're forcing me to move about my daily life to stay in New York. I have to go do these things like I'm out. Well, Illinois. and then think about tourism. How's that going to affect tourism in, the, in that oh, state? Yeah. You know, if you, everybody that wanted to go back to New York, all of a sudden now, you need to get the app and you need to get vaccinated and you need to do all these things or you need to get a negative test result, which I think they're retarded because it takes like three or four days to get the result back. How do you know you didn't get it within those three or four days? Like, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, to me, these are so measures that make no sense. It's like, we want to see a negative result. Well, yeah, I got tested three or four days ago, but I've still been out and about during this time. Like, how do you know I didn't get it now? Yeah. Or in between that time, like you know what I mean? Like it's just shit that like it's just kind of like posturing and just making it seem like we care about the people or whatever the hell goes through their stupid little minds. That's like this is irrelevant. You're just causing more harm well, to your it's state. The same. It's like never let a good crisis go to waste. I mean, some of those states they do want to expand government control and government power and being able to yeah, have but you're the authority. Killing the state. I mean, how many billionaires oh, yeah. have already left the state? How much money has already left the state? Yeah, but they said and that now they're gonna hurt tourism they're gonna directly. Come back. They're gonna come back. Well, oh, I mean, it is New home. York, right? It is like the financial hub and all this, but at some point it's just gonna be like, Well, yeah, well, well they just passed another hard. another big tax on people too, of the over the wealthy. Or like you go back and it's like now you're choosing to go pay more taxes again. And if you're fine paying, cool, you, you can go back. But it's one of those like oh. they had to raise revenues because states have to have a balanced budget. Or like 
we have to raise the revenue. And the only place they can do it was on that. And to where like more and more, less people go there, more, more taxes they raise, it is going to drive people out. And like you've already yeah. seen the, uh, the exodus from Florida or in a California, no, New York to Florida. Where yeah. we hear a lot of uh, podcasts we listen to, and they're like, "Oh, dude, it's like I used to know a bunch of people in New York, and they're all gone. They left, and they just said they're like." And uh, I one they had a, a guest on Valuetainment to where he's like he knew a lot of people in California to where you have Newsom up for recall, and they said like that's gonna make it or break it for me if they don't recall him and replace with somebody else, we're out, we're done. It's like, but if they leave him in power, it's like we're out. It's like well, he been needs to be gone. Running the state into the ground. I mean, it's been insane the crap that, that and he's the hypocrisy been doing. that he's like. Oh, everyone needs to not wear ma- or wear masks. They can't go out. They can't congregate. But I'm gonna go to the high end white country and hang out in private dining rooms and stuff like that because I'm I'm part of that group. Do that. That's all of them. That's all the politicians. You know, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um. With that being said, we nailed it right under the two hour mark. Look at that. Good timing. So. There you have it, people. Again, if you enjoyed the podcast, hit that thumbs up on YouTube. Helps us out tremendously. Um, it helps us get the word out further and let more people know about all the good stuff that's going on, how to invest in real estate the right way. Uh, make sure you join our text community if you want to join us as we do property tours and stuff like that. I'll be sending that out as well as uh, tips and stuff like that as we get them in real time. So if you're not in Texas, or in San Antonio and you want to get real tips, strategies, things, make sure you text us and uh, join that community. With that being said, um, thank you all for watching. And we will catch you next week. Later. Haters.